there's more to this life than I thought. And James inspires me. The things he says have encouraged me. It's like there's a walk, there's a path, and it's leading to something more real than I've ever known before, and it's exciting. I get around James and I hear things that help me in my life, my work. This work he talks about has become my work. I am excited about the possibility that other people could be affected, other people could be inspired to work on themselves, to grow, to, to realize there's more to this life. The belief in ultimate solutions make man violent. When we think that there is an ultimate solution to something, just that belief system tends to make us violent. Hitler believed that there was a final solution, and that final solution centered on the Holocaust some of the most horrendous violence of the 20th century. Because life is repetitive, there can be no final solutions. Problems will come around again. We cured polio, we cured smallpox, we cured this, we cured that. You know, people don't die of that anymore. The bubonic plague, you know, we cured that. But now they're around again. Polio is around again. Smallpox is around again. The bubonic plague is around again. And even if we get it so that we control it and we overcome it. What we do is we get lax about that and it comes around again. It's true that a lot of things haven't come around again yet, but then something else comes around to replace that. And it's often worse than what it replaced. That's why I say problems will come around again. The only solution to all problems is a change of attitude. The problem is, is that we don't know what attitude is as a rule. I remember when I was in high school, I was uh, sent to the vice principal, who was the disciplinarian, for my attitude. We didn't have a very good relationship, and so I think then I was sent to the principal. I'd probably only been in his office that one time, so I didn't even really know him. I'd seen him in assemblies and things, but I didn't really know him at all. He thought that I had a bad attitude. And I remember feeling so lost to try and understand what he meant by attitude. It was just not something that I could see about myself. And often we can't see our attitude. We just have the attitude, but we don't see it because we are being it. But there was nobody there to tell me that then. In high school, all they could say was, you better change your attitude, mister. But if I didn't know what my attitude was, it made it very difficult to change it. It's like, wipe that look off your face. How do, how do you do that? You know, you remember your parents say, wipe that look off your face. Or, uh, you know, I'll give you something to cry about. <laughs> like, what, what makes people say things like this? You know, when you think about it, it's like, what makes people say things like this? Well, their parents made them say things like that. They heard it from their parents, and they heard it from somebody else. You can't change life. You can't change the other person. This, obviously, isn't for everybody. There are some people who still think that they can change life, and they still think that they can change the other person. You may think you're not one of those people, but I know better, because I have watched you try and change life, and I watch you every day try to change other people. For example, we talk about what we're here for, and somebody speaks for the whole group and says, no, they're not here for that. What is the purpose of that? The purpose of that is to change other people. The purpose of that is to point out to them what they're not doing so that they'll start to do it, so that they'll change it. We believe that we can change other people by showing them what's wrong with them. Now, we all know that when somebody shows us what's wrong with us, the last thing we do is change. Oh, we don't change that. We change, all right. We change from feeling happy and nice 
and positive about that person to unhappy, negative, and not nice toward that person because that person has attacked our integrity. That person has said we're not acceptable the way we are. That person has said we're bad and wrong and we need to change in order to make them happy. That's what we generally get when people point out to us something about ourselves that needs to change. There are people who are not pointing things out to make us change. One out of a thousand of people who are not pointing something out to make us change. And to those people we respond differently because the energy is different. But when somebody's pointing out something to us to get us to change, we feel that energy and we respond to that energy. Generally, we respond to, we respond to that energy automatically. We don't respond to that energy with awareness, with attention, with consciousness. We respond automatically because we're not very aware of the energies in us. We're not very aware of what kinds of energy we are producing. In other words, we're not aware of what part of ourselves we are in internally. We are not aware of our psychological surroundings, our psychological neighborhood we talked about last week. Attitude connects us with outer life. Think of it like clothing. Your clothing connects you with outer life. You wouldn't think of going outdoors without clothing. Most of the time, when you consider going out, you consider where you're going, how far you're going, who's going to see you, and then you determine what you're going to wear according to some standards that you have, some identifications that you have. If it's cold, then you want to dress warmly. If it's hot, then you want to dress in cool clothing, clothing that will allow breezes and, and won't be too restrict, won't be too heavy. Also, if you're going somewhere, it's like I remember one time somebody showed up at, at my house in a, in a pair of silk underwear. He thought they were shorts. And I said, no, man, they're not shorts, that's underwear. He ran back to his truck, got in the truck, drove home, and put some pants on, and then came back. It's all what we think about what other people are going to think. I mean, not all, but much of it is. Even when we're thinking about dressing for summer or winter, we're still, it's not just summer or winter, we still pick out things that match. We still pick out things that we think look good, we think other people will think look good. It's how we present ourselves. And it's all part of an attitude, it's all part of what makes up false personality. That is, part of us that we have acquired in life that makes us pretend to be something that we're not when we are something else. It's something that tries to make it look like we're not that, like we're something else. It's also like doors and windows in a house. Doors and windows in a house are really what connect you with the outside world when you're in the house. You hear somebody knock at the door, you go to the door, you open the door to see who is out there. And you hear somebody pull up in the driveway, you go to the window and you look out the window to see who is out there. So the doors and windows are like attitudes. They connect us to the outside world. We have this connection that we can examine, that we can look at, and we can learn something about ourselves internally. We can learn what kinds of attitudes we have. A change of attitude changes the way that life touches you. It's not so much how you touch life, but how life touches you. If you change your attitude, it's like changing your clothes. You determine how the environment is going to affect you. Fewer clothing, you're going to be more affected by the environment. More clothing, you're going to be more affected by the environment if it's hot out. The environment's going to amplify that, amplify the, the warmth of your clothing. It's like that. And again, you know, words break down. So you're going to have to walk around the scaffolding, but understand that the, this is not about the scaffolding. We're not talking about words. We're not trying to understand what I'm saying. We're trying to understand what I'm not saying. 
Attitudes, we were taught, bind us to unimportant things. And what that means is we take unimportant things as important. If you have a splinter in your thumb, and it's really painful, and you're all about getting that splinter out, you're all about that splinter, but then you, you know, you're know, you running to get the tweezers or whatever, and you step on a nail and it goes right through your foot. Suddenly, the splinter is not important anymore. Our attitude was that this is the only important thing. So we make things important that are not important. But it's only when we come in, in touch with something that's more important that we realize that what we were making important wasn't really important. And what happens is that the things, because of our attitudes, the things that are really important we end up neglecting. For example, it's really important that you develop, but that's not what you think is important. And your attitudes determine what you think is important. What you do is reflective of your attitude of what's really important. So somebody can say, well, none of these people are doing this. Well, that's a little formatory. Some of these people are doing this some of the time. Some of the other ones are doing it some other time. And some of these people are doing it a lot. And some of these people are doing it a little bit. But everybody, in their own way, is making the kind of progress that they think is important. Yourself is a collection of acquired associations, buffers, attitudes, and reactions that can be changed. Why should we change them? You don't have to. They can be changed. And usually how it works for us is we begin to change these things before we can let them go. So why would we want to change these things? Why not just let them go? Well, because some things, quite frankly, are just too heavy and too difficult to let go. And we have to change to something lighter. We change to lighter attitudes that are more easily let go. But some of the more entrenched, crystallized attitudes are very difficult to let go. And that crystallization has to be broken up some before we can let it go, before we can exchange it for something else. And remember, change is about bartering. It's about exchanging. We're exchanging one thing for another thing. Hopefully, as we barter, we get less. What we're trying to do is we're trying to barter away our false personality, barter away our position, barter away our identity, and have less false personality, making it more passive, having less false personality, less of that identity, and moving towards some other lighter identity. For example, you don't have to react in your typical way. This work tells you there's no need to feel depressed, negative, or violent. That it's really our psychological machinery, our attitudes, our habitual associations, our habits, our thought habits, our emotional habits, our attitude habits, attitudinal habits. All of these things are part of our psychological machinery. How we react to life. How we have learned the neuronic pathways that we burned into our brains, that we have burned into our psychology, that make us react the same way, that cause us to react the same way to the same kinds of situations. Those things can be changed. Depending on which life factory we came from, we're stamped with habits that cause us to take life as we do. The work calls this, this world, this planet, the pain factory. But even in the pain factory, there are different assembly lines. And depending on what assembly line you came from in the pain factory, so let's say you have a, a huge corporation that makes all kinds of electronics, and they make televisions, and they make radios, and they make DVD players, and they make CD players, and they make VCRs, and they make all these different things. Now, depending on which assembly line, which part of the, the corporation you come from, you 
react to things in a different way. You can see that a radio reacts differently than a television. A radio picks up radio signals, and a television picks up television signals. Radio has only audio, and it doesn't have any video. But a television has images and audio. So depending on what kind of factory you came from, you're stamped with certain kinds of attitudes and reactions and associations. And this is what has been acquired. These are the habits that cause us to take life as we take it. Some people take things instantaneously, they take them negatively. Some people always are always looking for the, for the bright side of things. That's the kind of assembly line they came from. So one comes out taking things negatively, another one comes out taking things positively. Neither one is better or worse. It's just how they come out. And each one is how they're stamped. And it's the stamping that causes us to react automatically. And so it's the automatic reaction that needs to be brought to the light, that needs to be examined, so that we can determine which part of the automatic reaction we would like to keep consciously and with awareness, and which part we would like to make passive, consciously make passive. No matter what, if it's all going to stay, it still has to be made conscious. You still have to bring awareness to it so that it's not just stamped and mechanical and habitual and automatic. It's not what you do as where you do it from. And if you're doing it from an unconscious part of yourself, it needs to be altered if you want to become more aware, if you want to have more inner awareness. And we're talking about inner awareness here. I'm, I'm kind of, the, the word consciousness has become so oatmeal-y that I'm going to talk about inner awareness instead of consciousness because I think it describes better what we're after at this stage. Maybe some other time we can pick up consciousness again. But right now I want to talk about inner awareness. We can alter how life falls on us. We can alter how light comes through the windows and the doors of our house. We can alter how life light falls on us, how life comes through to us, what we see out the windows. We can change that by changing our position in the house. What we want to do is we want to find a way to have life fall on us in a more positive way, to influence us in a more positive way, or in a way about which we have more inner awareness. We can locate ourselves internally in a country or in a neighborhood where the influences that are falling on us are better influences than where we habitually hang out. Oh, but I grew up in that neighborhood. Oh, that's the old neighborhood. And, you know, and all my friends are there. I was talking to somebody the other day who was from Maryland. And I recognized her accent because it was East Coast accent. And I'm from the East Coast. And I said, where are you from? And she said, Maryland. She said, could you tell by the accent? The twang. And I said, yeah. I told her I was from New Jersey. And she said, well, you know, I can't hear my own accent. I can hear mine. And because I could hear it, that's how I began to change it. Why don't you talk like you're from New Jersey? Well, I don't talk like from New Jersey because I could hear my accent. And I stopped saying water in Mayan. And I started to consciously bring a, a, attention and inner awareness to how I said things. And I began to become aware of how I said certain words and to change that so that I no longer said that. Now... If I get excited and passionate about something and start rattling it off quickly, you will notice a New Jersey accent starts to come in. But if I'm in control, if I'm maintaining my inner awareness of my speech, I can pretty much rule it out. It'll come in, 
Instead of saying just, I will often say gist. Instead of saying water, I will say water. That's, that's rare. But that's how, in the part of New Jersey I grew up, it wasn't water, it was water. It wasn't mine, it was Mayan, two syllables. And so that's the way we all grew up speaking unless we went to some other area where they didn't speak like that and we learned to speak the way they spoke in the other area. The point is, is that an accent is a lot like anything else. It's, it's a lot like an attitude. It's part of our acquired personality. And with awareness, inner awareness and attention brought to it, it can be altered. That's the point. Maybe you don't want to do that. Okay. I say, work where you can. Do what you can do. You can handle the bigger things later. If you can do this little thing, if you can just stop saying just and say just, then do that. If you can stop saying water and you can say water. If it takes you a little longer to think about it and say the word, okay, then at first it takes you a little longer. Eventually, you can retrain yourself. Eventually, you can consciously, with awareness, have some control over what you say, how you speak, how you express yourself. It is possible. The problem is we become so attached to our habits that we imagine that we don't want to be free from them. We begin to take pride in them, and we don't want to be free from them. We consider ourselves right and justified. There's nothing wrong with this. It's right. It's all right to talk like this. There's nothing wrong with acting like this. Everybody does it. Well, there's nothing wrong with that. It, it, most people do that. Fine. If you want to be most people, then do that. If you want to stay the same, then you're right. There's nothing wrong with it, and there's no need to change it. If you don't like life the way you react to it, if you don't like the kind of life that you're reacting, if you're not satisfied with that, if you're not happy with that repetition of the same problems over and over and over again and never being able to find the solution to them, every solution you find isn't a real solution because the problem comes back. You think, oh, well, I married this idiot. You know, I didn't know she was an idiot when I married her. She seemed like a totally different person. But then after I was married to her for a couple of months, I realized, oh, my God, she's an idiot. She was hiding her idiocy. And now her idiocy is right out of here in the open. And, well, what did I I got a divorce. Well, what else was I going to do? I got a divorce, and I found some other idiot. But I didn't know they were an idiot until I was married to them for three months or four months or six months. This one hid it for a year. And then I found out what an idiot she was. So I divorced her. I remember one time listening to Mickey Rooney. He was being interviewed. They said, well, how many times have you been married? He, at that time, he'd been married five times. And they said, well, that's, uh, you don't really do so well with it. He said, oh, I love marriage. That's why I keep doing it. <laughs> <laughs> so I have a lot of faith in marriage. I keep doing it. The, the, the thing that we don't understand is that the one thing that is always in those bad relationships that never changes, even though the person changes, that person out there changes, that person that we have different idiot. Now we have a different idiot. Now we have a different idiot. Now we have a different horrible person. The only person that didn't change in those relationships was me. The only consistent, the only constant was me. But we never look at me and my attitudes and what I'm doing to find out what's wrong with this relationship. It's always that idiot person who pretended to be something that they weren't. And then we found out what they were really like. And then we did the only thing that we could do. Because we're either going to be long-suffering and put up with them. and oh, you know, Or we're going to get rid of them and move on to something else. So how many times we justify, we make right what it is that we're doing, and the problem just comes around again and comes around again. If that's okay with you, if you don't mind being married 20 times or five times or six times or three times, fine, then keep doing that. You know, eventually you'll die. 
and you won't have to worry about getting another mate. Or eventually you'll run out of, you know, the, the idea of even wanting to be with another person. And you'll, you'll just let the whole thing go and you won't do it anymore. Have you changed? Well, yeah, something's changed. You've worn down a bit. You know, it's kind of like using a pencil. You keep sharpening it, you use it and sharpen it, use it, sharpen it. Eventually, you wear it down to a nub. Well, we get worn down to a nub as we get older in life. There are some things that just get worn down. If you want to wait for that, okay, that's your business. But if you'd like to make some changes now so that you can come under better influences, then there are some things you can do. Some people are so crystallized in life, in their attitudes, in their pictures of themselves, that work is difficult to nearly impossible. For some people, it is more, it's clearly more difficult for them to work than it is for other people. Some people just are very crystallized. They're very right. They're very well buffered. They're very strong. They're very opinionated. They're very justified. And it's very difficult for them to work. It's not impossible, but it is very difficult. Other people are not so crystallized, they're not so buffered, well buffered, and it's a little bit easier for them to change. It's, you know, some of them it seems like change is not such a big deal, but some people it's like it just keeps coming back. They can't get away from themselves no matter how hard they try. Even the crystallized can gradually loosen the grip of personality and shift into a better inner state. It is possible. The solution is ultimately and always in yourself, how you take things. How you take them depends on where you take them internally. We've mentioned liking and disliking for the past couple of podcasts, and there's a reason for that. You've got to start with yourself and stop disliking. Now, why do I pick liking and disliking? Well, it's because this is really key. It's a key to our attitudes and our personality. Liking and disliking is a big golden key. If you can get hold of this key and you can put it in the lock and you can turn this, you can undo a lot of the things that bind you. I know for a fact that there are people in this room who avoid the group because they dislike people in this room. I know for a fact that there are people in this room who are avoiding working with other people in this room because they dislike them. I know for a fact that the people that they are avoiding are the very people that they need to be working with. I know this for a fact. Actually, now that I'm saying it, I'm pretty sure that the people who are doing that know it for a fact too. Maybe just dimly. And maybe there's a voice screaming no in their head. But the truth is that there is something inside of them. It may be very deep, but there's something inside of them that knows that that's the truth. So why I say we've got to start with ourselves and stop disliking is because it's key. It can be done. It's not always easy, but sometimes it is. Sometimes we turn the key and it's like the lock just falls away and the chains that the lock held fall away. Sometimes it happens just that easily. Other times it's a combination lock <laughs> and we forgot the combination and we have to work with it. But it is possible the key is the combination or the key is the metal object that we put into the lock and turn it and it turns the tumblers and whatever else. And there are different kinds of locks. You have to figure out what kind yours is. In what internal country do you meet people? That person. You know, that one that you dislike, that one this week, the one that's got you this week, the one that's got you today, the one that's got you right now. It might be me right now because I'm talking about things you don't, you don't like. So maybe, well, I'm not so sure I like you right now. Okay, great. Then that person, that's the person you need to stop disliking. Why is it you dislike that person? I dislike that person because of where I meet them, where I meet them internally. 
When I was a child, I lived in a, this was back in the early 50s, I lived in a house that was old. Back in the early 50s, it was old, so it had been around a long time. On the East Coast, that's not so rare as it is out here in California. In California, you find a house that's 50 years old, and it's like a national monument. <laughs> <laughs> you know, or something that we're ready to tear down and put up the new. It was it was an interesting house because it had doors that were solid wood. They were made of solid wood. And it had molding that was made of solid wood. And it had a lot of things that we don't see so much today. Well, you see in really high-end places, really, really high-end places. But in average homes, you don't see it so much. Most things are made of other materials that have been collected and squished together and glued and laminates and things like that. So you don't see a lot of the things that you used to see 100 years ago or 200 years ago. One of the things was the front door opened into a vestibule. And for those of you who don't know what a vestibule is, it's a little anteroom that you come off the front porch into the, in the front door and there's a vestibule and it's a little narrow, it doesn't have to be, but it can be a little, in our case, it was this narrow little room. It wasn't a big room. It could maybe fit five or six people or ten people standing all crunched together like sardines. But it was a place where you could take your hat and your coat off and hang them up, where you could take your umbrella and put it over in the corner or hang it up or whatever you did with it. And, and it was a place that you could take galoshes or boots off and in some places I've seen them called a mudroom where in the country where people can come in from outdoors and into the mudroom and they can take their boots off and their muddy clothes off if they've been working out in the field and then before they enter the house proper. And in a lot of cold climates, there's two doors, the outside door you close, and then there's another door where you're not, you have to open that door to get into the house proper. So that little room is called a vestibule and we had a vestibule. Everybody had a vestibule. We didn't know people who didn't have vestibules, and we even knew what a vestibule was. There were little kids who said, vestibule, it's out in the vestibule. Go meet them in the vestibule. You know, and now it sounds like a funny word because I've lived here in California for 30-some years, and I don't hear the word vestibule so much anymore. And it sounds like, almost sounds like a made-up word out here. I'm suggesting that there's a use for a vestibule in us that you can build a vestibule in you, that you can actually create a vestibule in you. And I'll explain to you why I think you should, and I'll explain to you how I think you can. And then you can do whatever you want about that, or whatever you're able to do about that. It's really not what you want. You won't do whatever you want about it. You'll do whatever you're able to do about it, which really won't be as much as you think you want to do. We find that what we want and what we're able, we often will change what we want by what we're able to get. This is how we lower our aims. Rather than find more force, find more ways to get what it is we aim at, we just let our aim kind of drift down so that we don't want so much. Citizens of each country inside of us react differently. The poor react out of their poverty. The angry react out of their anger and often can be very violent. The negative react out of their negativity. The people who live in Pollyanna, they react out of their positive Pollyanna attitude. You know, and you have all these different little countries and neighborhoods inside of you. And the citizens of those neighborhoods, those thoughts and feelings who live, habitually live in those neighborhoods, react in a certain way. So if you meet someone, if you habitually meet someone in a certain neighborhood inside of yourself, 
then you're going to react to them the same way all the time. But if you can meet them in a different place, you might be able to react to them differently and stop disliking them automatically, on sight or on thought, as it were. Or you smell something that reminds you of them. You smell a smell that reminds you of them, and instantly your hackles go up and you dislike them. They don't even have to be in the same country. They don't even have to be alive. There are people that you dislike automatically that are dead now, but you still automatically dislike the thought of them. And if someone, if you see someone who reminds you of them, you automatically dislike that person for reminding you of them, for looking like them, for sounding like them, for smelling like them, for having the kind of tie that that person had, for wearing the kind of shoes that that person wore, for having the same name. We take it to different levels. As inner awareness grows, we have a shift in consciousness, creating greater inner space. When things are not so close, we have more time to choose better responses. So this is the idea of the vestibule. It's about creating this inner space between the outside world and our internal country. So it has to come through the door, and after it comes through the door, and it's inside, but it's now in this inner space, like this moat of space, that we can look at it and see what our reaction to it has been in the past. And we can decide, while it's in this space, while it's coming through this space, through the first door to the second door, to enter the inner chamber through the vestibule into the house proper, that we have some space there that gives us some time because it takes some time to cross that space. We have the time to react differently, to meet that person in a different room. So it's actually like the vestibule then can open up into, let's say now we have a vestibule, and let's say our vestibule, we have one outer door where the person can come in. But now we have, say, two inner doors where we can meet the person in the room we always meet them in and react to them the way we always react to them and dislike them. Or we have another choice. We have a different room and a different door. We can allow them, we can, inter we can invite them to come through that door. Or we can come through that door, open that door, and invite them into that door and meet them in a different space, in a different room, in a different neighborhood, in a different environment, in a different atmosphere, with different thoughts and different feelings. The first thing we do is stop disliking them. And you do that in the vestibule. You create that space there where you can say, stop. You freeze frame, you stop disliking them. You just don't allow yourself to be in the space of disliking because you now have some inner awareness and you now have some time and space where you can make a choice. The space that inner awareness allows you gives you the opportunity to make a choice. Can you see the space around the person, when you become aware internally of how you're inviting that person into your inner country, you create some space so that you have a choice of where you will meet them. This is what I'm suggesting. The first thing to do is stop disliking. After that, just see what happens. I'm not going to tell you what's going to happen because I don't know what will happen. Actually, I have an idea what could happen. I know what's happened for me and I know what could happen for you. But it's more important that you stop disliking this person, whoever that person is that, that came up for you, or whoever those people are who came up for you. It could be a whole race of people. It could be a whole gender. It could be a whole age group. It could be whatever. It could be whatever it could be. But whatever it is, that is what you want to work on, you. When I say you, I don't mean you yourself. I mean the you that you don't know yet. That's what you, the you that you don't know yet, wants you, the you yourself that you think you are, to work on. 
so that you can drop some more of the you yourself that you think you are and find out who the you yourself that you don't know yet is. I know, it's, but it's not confusing. It's just funny. It's just funny construct of language. It's because we're not used to seeing ourselves this way. But you can see that if you'll create this space of inner awareness, you can start to see yourself in a different way. You can start to have this space between you yourself and the you you don't know that wants something better for you. There's a you that you don't know yet, that you have not come face to face with yet, that means you good. Now, the you that you do know, the you yourself, that says it means you good, but you have enough experience with that to know that just because it says it means you good, it doesn't have good judgment. Its judgment is poor. It keeps doing the same things over and over again and bringing the same kinds of problems over and over again, making the same kinds of mistakes over and over again, saying the same stupid thing over and over again, reacting the same way that you later go, oh, why couldn't I have kept my mouth shut? Why didn't I just shut up? Or the you, the you yourself that says, well, that's that. From now on, I'm not saying anything in this room. Everything I say, she jumps on. Everything I say, she makes me wrong for it. I'll never talk around her again. Okay, so that you yourself, that genius, who has the answer to every, the solution to every problem, that genius, that isn't you. The real you, the you that really wants what's best, that you, you haven't met yet. You have smelled something about it. You have tasted something about it. You felt the cool breeze coming from it. You felt its peace. You felt its tranquility. You felt its calmness. You felt its strength. You felt its awareness and its light. But you haven't really met it face to face yet. You can get closer to it by making this you yourself, the crazy man, passive. By not letting it make so many decisions. And as this inner awareness grows and the shift occurs, this space is created, we begin to find the solution to many of life's problems is to simply stop and do nothing. To stop automatic disliking. Automatic disliking is the thing that I've picked because it is so prevalent. It is such a well-traveled path. It's like a main artery. And there are a lot of little things that go off it, but you have to go down that main artery first. Automatic disliking cripples you. It is keeping you from work. You see, there are people in this room who you automatically dislike, who you need. Those are the people that you really need to be with. Those are the people you really need to start liking and spending time with. And then you'll get to the point where you like them so much, you're going to have to go spend time with somebody else that you don't like because that's the only way you're going to get to the next part of the you yourself, the wild man, the crazy person that keeps making all these bad decisions, that keeps repeating things, to find out a little bit more about that person so that you can make a little bit more of it passive, so that you have a little more space between it and the real you, the you that you're going to meet, the you that you're going to someday be if you will keep at it. And when I say be, what I mean is be identified with, and then I don't know where that leads. Maybe that leads to nothing. Maybe it leads to something. I don't know. I don't care. That's not important. What's important is what we have to do now. One thing leads to another. We'll find out what that other thing is when we need to. So this vestibule is this moment of inner awareness where we can meet old people in a new way, a place where we can set a new tone by welcoming and thanking those we've disliked and even begin to like them. Arthur said to me last week, well, I don't get that part. I have to thank them. Why do I have to thank them? I said, well, you have to thank them because unless you can generate an attitude of gratitude, you clearly are not in, a, in the neighborhood of liking. Because in the neighborhood of liking, you have an attitude of gratitude. It's just there. It's just this attitude of not liking someone 
the attitude of not being grateful for them, the attitude of not being able to thank them, the attitude of holding things against them, the attitude of internal consideration is a bad neighborhood. And you've got to get out of that neighborhood. So why do you have to like them? Because in the right neighborhood, you have to like them. You can't stay in that neighborhood unless you like them. You can get to the neighborhood, but you can't stay there. So you might be able to get to the neighborhood with that person. But the minute you start disliking them again, you are ejected from the neighborhood. Because all of the attitudes of that neighborhood are no longer yours, and you are no longer in that neighborhood. This isn't necessarily understandable just because of the words. The words don't make it understandable. You make it understandable, and the space between the words makes it understandable. And my intention, my intention is to be understood. If your intention is to understand, we could get a lock on this. Something could happen. We could get some energy flowing, and that energy could open up some space, and that space could give us an area in which we could make decisions and stop things where we have usually automatically allowed them to run. Disliking is a huge area of negativity and loss of force. I'm not going to say any more about that. If you can't see that now, maybe you'll see it later as you look at it. We have to shift ourselves from what we are in life, that with which life has stamped us. If we continue automatic disliking, we remain where we are. No shift, no change. If you dislike the same people that you disliked last month, you have not made the shift. If you are disliking the same people that you disliked last year, think about it. You want to change. But you want to dislike the same people you disliked last year. But you say you want to change. And that change can just be, well, that means just get rid of those, those people. No. You change. Self-change. Interchange. Change your attitude. Shift from where you are internally to another neighborhood internally. Work on yourself must be accompanied by work concerning others. This is how we can thank them. They're the people who are helping us jack the car up to change the tire. Oh, but I don't like that person. They're the people who are helping us. You can thank them. You, it is possible to do it. All you have to do is get in the right neighborhood. Start with the person that you know. First stop this liking, then see for yourself what happens. If you argue with someone, what is the solution? Where do you start working? You start working with inner awareness. Do you start working with the other person? No. Well, you have to change in order for me to, to not dislike you. No. If you argue with someone, it's your fault. You have to start there. Well, what if it's the other person's fault? So what? They're not going to change. You're the only one who can change. If you argued with the person and they started it, you argued back. It's your fault. It's like, you remember the story I told you about the two brothers who were up in the room fighting? The father burst through the door. All right, who started this? And the little one says, Billy did when he hit me back. <laughs> and it's the truth. A fight doesn't start when you're hit. If you turn the other cheek, there's no fight. The fight only starts when you hit them back. So it's your fault because you hit him back. Well, that's not fair. What do you want? You want fair or do you want to be different? You want fair or do you want solutions, real solutions? What do you want? It's your fault. Start there. What's wrong with you, not the other person? Solution is always and ultimately in you. I said that earlier on before it got so tacky and, and prickly. So earlier on when I said it, it was acceptable. But now that it's down to, oh, I have to change, it may not be as acceptable. As long as we see solutions in others, things and different arrangements of others and things will be negative. As long as you're going to arrange where you live and who's in your life and who's not in your life and who says what to you and who doesn't say what to you, that's how you're going to arrange life, you're going to be negative because you're, you can't control it all the time. And sooner or later, you're going to get what you don't want and you're going to be negative. 
If you want to stop being negative and stop having negativity have its power over you, then you need to change in you. You need to change something other than arranging people and situations and things, events in your life so that they all please you. If we don't do that, our mind will be dead. Dead means not able to think right, which means have no inner awareness. Inner awareness is the key to all this. You've got to have an awareness of what's happening inside of you. But what is our awareness on? Well, our awareness is on what they're doing. Our awareness needs to be what we are doing about what they're doing. Negative emotions are mental noise that prevents right functioning. We accuse and counter-accuse rather than think. We're accusing other people and events and life and the government and uh, the ambiguous big whatever corporations, the polluters, the greedy people, the hateful people, the violent people. We accuse and, and counter-accuse rather than think. That's not thinking. That's reacting. Start with yourself, not the person you think is the source of your misery. And finally, be of good cheer. Help is at hand. If you will start to create this space, this vestibule, you will see that you have help from a source that you don't understand, that you don't know, from something higher and outside of your little world as you know it now. The linchpin of this work is the practical application of the ideas shared in the podcasts. If you'll go to solidrockvista.com, to the thoughts page, I've written a number of articles that will help you to practice the principles that we're sharing with you in the podcasts.